0: That was some really good worship this morning, wasn't it? Man, thank you worship team, so good. Uh, My name is Adam, I am the associate pastor here at Antioch and welcome to church this morning. Uh, Again, if you're a guest, I'm so glad you're here and uh, we love you whether we've met or not. um, God is meeting with us and changing us and part of that change is it teaches us how to love people. So we love you and we're really glad you're here. Uh, we are in the middle of a series right now, and we're going through a series called Life in His Name, and we're walking through the book of John. And if you've never read the Bible before, the, there's the first four books of the New Testament. It's, the Bible's divided into an Old and New Testament, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in, and we're walking through that book, and we're just looking at the life of Jesus. And as we look at His life, we say, what does it mean to listen and hear His words and then turn around and obey them? And we found that if you actually took the Bible at its word and did what it said, your life would be radically different very quickly. Um, Pick pick a gospel, pick a chapter. Um, A friend of mine, you know, he always talks about Matthew 6. He's like, if you just obeyed anything Jesus said in Matthew 6, like within like three or four days, you would have given away everything you own. You would have reconciled with every person that's ever been wrong to you. Like if you're married, you'd have a restored marriage. Like it's amazing how much and how much how much authority and power is in scripture if we actually try it. And so our prayer is that as we go through John, as we're studying and looking at the life of Jesus, we would be a courageous people in this room that say, hey, let's try it. Let's actually do what Jesus says. Let's respond to his word and let's just see what happens. I promise you, if you do it, you'll be radically transformed. Because that's what Jesus does. He changes the heart of a man. Religion might change your behavior. Religion might make you look good on the outside, but only God can transform your heart. And we are not here to play religion or play church. We're here because we wanna encounter Jesus and have him transform our hearts. And if he changes our hearts, then he changes our behavior and he changes our life. And so we wanna make sure we get the, we don't wanna get the cart before the horse. We wanna do this in the right order and we wanna meet with the living God and we wanna have him change us, amen? That's why we're here, yeah? Okay, well, I'm gonna be picking up in John 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 10. And we're gonna be going through and checking it out. Just so you know, I might be a little delirious this morning. We flew in, our team, any, anybody make it here this morning for my team? Yeah, we got a couple of us. We flew in last night at 6.30 from South Africa. And so uh, we're nine hours backwards or upside down right now. So I feel a little bit funny, but I will do my best to have coherent sentences for you and hopefully bless you and your time. But uh, if you're at John 10, we're gonna dive right in. Sound good? All right, here we go, John 10, starting in verse one. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice." But they will not follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, "'Very truly I tell you, "'I am the gate for the, sh- I am the, gate for the sheep. "'All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, "'but the sheep have not listened to them. "'I am the gate. "'Whoever enters through me will be saved. "'They will come in and go out and find pasture.'" This command I received from my Father. This is some dense stuff. And we're gonna do our best in a very timely manner to get through it. But before we do, um, I just wanna pray real quick. Because I don't want anything in my words to change anyone, but I want God's word to last forever. And so I just wanna ask God to do that real quick. So agree with me. Jesus, we ask right now that your word is living and active it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can pierce their bone and marrow. It can cut to the deepest place, and that's what we want. We, we Right now, we choose to lay down offenses and walls, and we, say, we surrender to your word, and we say, God, have its full measure of effect. But God, may my words blow away in the wind. May they not last. But we're asking that your word would last forever, and we'd be responders to it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was on the plane on the way back here, um, they have the screens in front of your seat and you can watch all these movies and stuff to try to stay awake when you're supposed to stay awake to beat jet lag and all this stuff. And they have all these Animal Planet videos on there. I don't know if you've watched those things. I can get like obsessed with them. Like, first of all, the, the, the videography and whoever, like, I'm like, how did that person get that shot? They're like hanging on the side of a cliff or something. I don't know, but you're like, it's amazing. But I was watching it and it was amazing. There was all these birds and they were, there was thousands of them thousands of these white birds. And these mama birds would fly out to the ocean because it was a cliff edge right at the ocean and they'd fly out and they would gather fish and food and they would fly back to all the baby birds. But the thing was, there was thousands and thousands of these tiny little chick baby birds on the side of this cliff edge. And it looked like this like fuzzy cotton ball just moving all the time. And they all looked the same. They they were identical and they're all chirping. But somehow, some way, the mama bird could hear the specific call of each individual baby bird knowing which one was theirs. and they would feed their baby bird. I'm sitting there watching. Them. I'm like, that's a miracle. Like that's insane because I can't tell a difference from any of them yet this bird knows which one's its baby, right? And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. And, and, and then I'm like real, like processing just like what we just experienced in Africa. And I just want to show you a couple, couple of uh, pictures. Do you have those? Look at this. This is where a cliff is meeting an ocean's edge in South Africa. Isn't that beautiful? And I have another shot. Will you show me the other shot? Look, look at that. Is that not stunning? We went on a hike, and that's where we got to go hiking. You know, somebody has to tell the gospel to somebody, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I, I laid down my life and carried my cross, and I pioneered out there and made it happen, you know. And uh, I suffered there. But it was, it was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable beauty in South Africa. And then they took us over uh, to this, to this uh, petting zoo slash zoo. I, don't, I wouldn't encourage petting all of them. Let me just show you a couple animals that we got to see up close. I am way too close to that lion. Like in America, that would be, you're, you're breaking the law, you know, and you get arrested for jumping over some fence somewhere. But that is how close we are. And then we have, a, they had a white tiger. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Like, I'm like, this is illegal, but so exciting. All the adrenaline's pumping. But they had all these amazing animals in South Africa. It was just absolutely beautiful. They have, have you ever heard of the South African penguin? It was new to me. Maybe it's common knowledge, but I was like, I can't believe they have penguins in South, I think of Antarctica, but there's 20,000 of these South African penguins that would, during their migration season, come to the South African beaches, and that's where they would mate. And I learned that that they're monogamous. So again, imagine... Another massive grouping of birds and they all kind of look the same. They're black and white little tuxedo things rocking around, right? And yet they, at some point in their maturity, decide I'm gonna be faithful to one and they pick their one. And then forever they are faithful just to that one. So every year they're out doing their thing and they come back and they, through calling, they call out and then all of a sudden they hear, oh, that's my mate and they find each other and they continue to make babies. Is that not unbelievable? I'm like, this country is awesome. And God is awesome in the way that he has made his creation. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Well, right now, we are now in John chapter 10. There's a point behind all this. And the first five verses of John 10, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees, and he's telling them a parable. And I just want to step back and just say one thing. We need to know why Jesus is even having this conversation. And to remind us, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses, okay? So this was one massive letter that John wrote. But there wasn't verses and chapters wasn't broken up. So we need to know what question is John 10 answering from chapter nine? And in chapter nine, the question is, is Jesus really the son of God? Is he the Messiah? That's what they're trying to figure out. These Pharisees, these religious leaders are looking at Jesus and they're saying, who is this man? And if he is the Messiah, is he the one to lead us into liberty, into freedom? Now their mind, they're thinking it's the Roman empire because at the time the Roman empire is oppressing the Jewish people and they're kind of tyrannical. And they're thinking maybe this is the king that has been prophesied, the Messiah to come, and he's gonna deliver us from this oppression from the Roman empire. And so they're asking the question, is he the one that's going to lead us? And then in response to this question, Jesus tells a story. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he does that a lot. Stories are provocative, they're engaging. And so he tells this story. And I just want to read the first five verses again. Very, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for them, for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all the sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So all of a sudden, we have this parable where Jesus is explaining the question, like, okay, is he really a Messiah? Who is Jesus? That's the question. Who is this Jesus? And he goes and he tells some weird story about a shepherd and some sheep. But this is what I want to point out first of all. The Bible uses this imagery of a shepherd and a sheep frequently to describe a king and his people. This shows out many times throughout the context of scripture and the Pharisees would know it. Okay? So even though he starts using this language of a sheep and a shepherd, it's not totally blindsiding them because there's context even in the Old Testament, which the Pharisees would know the Old Testament, that there is a relationship between a shepherd and a king and the sheep and their followers. Okay? And so he starts to bring together these, these equations and, and, and I'll even introduce you to some of them in a second, but one, the, the obvious one, let's go there, is just King David, right? King David was a shepherd boy, was he not? my dad and I got to go in 2019 to Israel. It's amazing and you should go, bucket list. Um, and as we are walking around Israel, we actually find ourselves outside the city of Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born, but all, or he was born in Nazareth, but Bethlehem where the no, he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Sorry about that, I'm tired. And so, uh, so what happened was is we were outside of Bethlehem and we were there to see the manger location, all that stuff. But before we got into the city, we were out on this hillside And I look over and my dad and I see there is this field, this rolling hills, and there are sheep covering them and there are shepherds tending them. What's so crazy cool about that is King David is from Bethlehem and King David was in those same fields as a shepherd. So I'm imagining in my mind, I'm looking out, looking at these fields and I'm going, what if one of those was King David as a boy? Like it just, it made the Bible just come alive to me and I'm going, oh. And what was so amazing is we're watching them and these shepherds would go out into the middle of the sheepfold and there's all these sheep and he would start to make this specific peculiar noise and they would start to come to him one by one. They'd start to follow him. But what makes John uh, John 1 through five so unique is that the shepherd in this story goes a step further. He doesn't just make a general noise that the sheep are familiar with. He starts to call them out name by name. There's a sense of intimacy that Jesus is pointing out about the leadership of this king. Because in an American context, the reason why this is hard for us is we think about um, a shepherd we, or, or, or a king, if you will. We think of like CEOs maybe or presidents of companies or presidents of a country. And so our thought is, oh, there's a distance, there's a gap between the leadership and the followers. Like there's not a face-to-face relational context, Right but not here. Jesus is saying, no, this king, this shepherd king is one who knows his followers name by name, face to face. There's a sense of intimacy. So as they're asking the question, who is Jesus? Is he really the king to come? Is he really the Messiah? He starts to tell the story and he starts to say, actually, let me tell you a story about a shepherd king, but this one, he knows his people up close. He knows them face to face, name by name. The way to explain it maybe is better said by this theologian. His name's N.T. Wright. I don't know if you've ever studied stuff, but he's really good. And he writes this uh, commentary called uh, For Everyone. Basically, it's like the the dummy's book for commentaries for the Bible, and uh, I needed that. And so uh, I was reading through it, and I got stirred by one of the paragraphs, and so I just want to read it to you. But he's, he's writing about this one through five verse in chapter 10. He says, The shepherds, after all, spend most hours of most days in the company of their sheep. He knows their individual characteristics, markings, likes, and dislikes. What's more, they know him. They know his voice. Someone else can come to the sheepfold, and they won't go near him. Even if he calls the right name, they are listening for the one voice that matters. The voice they have come to trust. When they hear it, he won't need a sheepdog to keep them in order. He won't walk behind them, but they will follow him. So Jesus is describing the shepherd king and he leads with his voice and he goes on ahead and he doesn't have to rally and intimidate with a sheepdog, but he can create trust with his followers that when he moves ahead, they will follow his leadership. My prayer for us this morning as we dive in here is that there would be a sensitivity to the voice of God, and that we would not be those who lag behind, but we would follow the leadership of Jesus. But this creates a great deal of surrender and a great deal of trust in Jesus, because if you don't think he's a good shepherd, you will have a hard time wanting to follow his leadership. So anybody in this room where you're struggling with the goodness of God, my prayer right now is that you would wrestle through that with him, not... Pushing him away, but he's saying, "God, I'm having a hard time. I'm drawn close to you, but I'm having a hard time trusting your goodness." And let him show you his goodness, his loving kindness to you. This is who God is. He wants to show you his goodness today. And Near East shepherds, even to this day, like back where we saw in Bethlehem and other parts of the of the world, and the, the, over out in the Near East, um, there would be these shepherds, and they would they would even stand. Outside, the, the, the idea of this context of a, of a flock, just to give context, is it's, a, it's a, a crowd area where a bunch of sheep would be out in a field. So it's not against a building or in the middle of a town. It's out in a field and there's a fence and there's a gate. And a lot of times, multiple shepherds would have multiple sheep in the same area. And even today in Near East, multiple shepherds could even walk up to that gate and they can make their specific noise and only their sheep would come. Isn't that amazing? They have their own ability to speak in such a way that they would recognize and come. My prayer for us in this room is that we would be able to recognize and come to the Lord. That we wouldn't be clueless on the voice of God, but we would know because of intimacy with him what he sounds like. And when he speaks, we are quick to obey and respond because God longs to speak to you. And what's also amazing is that there's like this assumption that, that in some way um, the sheep are already his because they're familiar. And in this context, when Jesus is sharing this passage and he talks about calling out his sheep, He's speaking to the very identity of every created person he's ever made. Do you know as creation, as as people, we bear the image of God? In Genesis, it says we're made in his image and his likeness. So already you have a a disposition, a, a tendency to be familiar with his voice, even if you don't think so. Because you're already made like him in some way. So it's not a huge leap to grow in familiarity with his voice. Sometimes we get in our mind that, man, it's just too hard. Like I, everybody else seems to hear God, but I can't hear God, or I don't hear rightly. And what happens is we start to put all these rules and regulations and legalism and religion on what it means to walk with God, and everybody feels like they have to compare themselves to everybody else around them. And then I'm not well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Andy. I can't, I can't walk with God like Andy does. Or pick your person. And all of a sudden we start to feel this this restricted ability to hear. But I'm telling you right now, God's ability to speak to you is greater than your inability to listen. Do you hear what I'm saying? God speaks your language. He knows your dialect. He can say it in such a way that you can start to recognize and walk in intimacy with him. And he longs to walk in intimacy with you. So God's ability to speak is greater than your ability to hear. So even if you're struggling to hear, he is pressing in this morning. In verse three, the shepherds leads his sheep out. It says, talking in this verse three here, it says he leads them out and in of the sheepfold of this area. And I just a couple fun little nerdy things here. But um, I believe this is alluding to Numbers 27, where we see Moses. And Moses is praying for a successor because he's coming to the end of his life. And he's like, God, I need a successor to take my place uh, so that they might lead the people of Israel. And it says that he's looking for a successor who will lead the people of God out and bring them in is the language it uses in verse 27, so that the pe- Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that neat language? So, and Moses is praying and he's saying, God, my people need a future leader to take my place, and I want them to be not like a sheep without a shepherd. He uses like, and then what's so cool is the very next verse, it's clear that the next successor is Joshua, and the name Joshua in Greek is Jesus. So, it's almost this foreshadowing again of Jesus, the good shepherd, who's coming to lead his sheep so they would not be without a shepherd. Again, the Pharisees would know this, they're very familiar with this passage. And so all of a sudden, he's just tickling their ears, trying to point to them, connecting the dots, that he is the Messiah, that he is the good shepherd coming to lead his people. Maybe not like how they expected, but he is very much the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God, the one who's come to redeem the world. But Jesus then addresses a different part of this passage, and he starts to talk about the difference between a good shepherd and thieves, robbers, or false shepherds, people who want to lead the sheep astray. And This is massively connected to Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament. So again, Jesus continually is connecting these dots for these Pharisees of who he is. He's answering the question of chapter nine. Following me? This is gonna be a bit long, but I really, really wanna read it all because I love what it communicates of the heart of God. So if you have a hard time focusing, I'm gonna read just Ezekiel 1 through 16. So I'm gonna read 16 verses, but I want you to listen to God's heart about his sheep. Okay? Ezekiel, Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 34, says, the word of the Lord has come to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally so that they are scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all around over all the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all wild animals. Because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flocks so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the, in the ravens and in the settlements of the land, ravines and the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land." There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring, them back, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Wow. I pray that that hits you like it hit me when I was reading it. God's heart is for his sheep. He is jealous for your well-being. And he is not okay with us being led led astray. And when he's reading this, the Pharisees are being the very ones he is rebuking in the very moment. He says, all you do is care about yourself. It seems that's all you're doing. You're, you're, you're manip- manipulating and taking advantage of the people for your own personal gain, and you actually don't care about their well-being at all. You wear your white robes, and you walk around all with your nose in the air, looking down at everyone around you, and he's like, and I'm not okay with it. When we were in South Africa, we went to these places called townships, and I want to show a photo of a township. These little sheds are about, what would you say, like six to seven feet by 10 feet? Is that fair, team? They're so small. And they said they would have anywhere between five to 10 people living in every single shed. In one township about the size of the north part of Tempe, imagine here in town where the 60 and the 101 and the 202 and the 10 create a box, there's over two million people living in conditions like this. And we worked with this incredible organization called Orchard Africa. And Orchard Africa is, it's an NGO, it's a nonprofit organization that helps bring support to the local church. They're a local church supporting agency. And their desire is to find pastors who genuinely want to be good shepherds who really do wanna love the people that they're, they're serving. And they come and they say, hey, we're gonna help you have tools to present the gospel to your people, but we're also gonna help you educate. We're also gonna help you create gardens to feed them. We're gonna give you programs and support systems. We're gonna give you care, so if anyone has AIDS or sickness, we can provide healthcare. It's unbelievable what they were doing over there. But one of the things that, that stood out to me was I was talking with the guy who, who manages the, the trips, who was working with us named Michael, and he said, we really have to do a good job filtering through the pastures. He says, you'd be amazed how much televangelism and how, um, how pastors there will manipulate the poor. I mean, these are the poor of the poor. I mean, poor. <laughs> they do not have a promise of a meal that day, poor. And he says that people would come in and they, in the name of Jesus and with the Bible, they would wear the, they'd have these brand new you know, leather shoes and dress all nice and they, they would not want kids to touch them and dirty them. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That's what, that's what the Pharisees did in scripture. And then even even this got bought into by the culture and the Bible and during during the Jewish, you know, and antiquity, this was part of the culture where kids can't come near noble or leadership or, 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 or rabbis or whatever, and they would keep them at a distance. Even imagine one thing that struck me when we were in South Africa is we got to love on all these kids. I mean, there were so many beautiful kids and they they, they didn't even know they were poor. They were just happy to be alive and they had beautiful smiles and stuff. But one of the guys made a comment uh, uh, named Jim and he said, did you not realize that that when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, these weren't like the prep school kids down the street. These were the beggars. Like most likely the kids were coming over to Jesus, yanking on him saying, hey, can I have some money for some food? Like that was the condition that was happening in that story when Jesus says, hey, and, the, and, the, and the all of a sudden the, you know, the disciples are like, get away from Jesus, you know? don't mess with our rabbi. And he's like, no, let the kids come to me. Like Jesus is not okay with poor leadership. And he is a great leader. One of the things I love to meditate on is how great of a leader he is and how he doesn't question his own leadership. Jesus isn't insecure if he's gonna lead you well or not. He's not going, oh, I hope I make a right decision for Johnny You know, I don't know, does he take the job? Does he not? Who should he marry? You know, or what name whatever, right? He is quite secure in his leadership and he is a good leader and he's not okay with bad leadership. Selfish ambition is not in his DNA other than for his glory that you might be fully satisfied in him. But that comes through being good and tender and faithful to you. Not by being a tyrant and manipulating you to make him look better or feel better. He's quite secure. And what we find here is that Jesus is telling this parable. And he's explaining that he is the good shepherd that's come. And he's also pointing out that there are some bad shepherds in the room. And he's saying, I'm not okay with it. And he's connecting all these dots. He brings up a a passage. he, He connects dots about Moses. He connects dots about David. And then he brings up the prophet Ezekiel. He's connecting all these Old Testament dots that the Pharisees should be able to collect. But then we see in chapter, or verse six, it says this. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. They were missing it. As clear as day, the Jewish leaders who are... In essence, Jesus' opponents during his ministry, right? They did not understand what he was telling them. But how could they? They weren't part of a sheepfold. A sheep won't recognize someone that's not a shepherd, right? I almost feel some compassion for the Pharisees all of a sudden when I was reading that, thinking, you know what? If they've never learned to hear and obey the voice of their shepherd, how would they know when he's speaking? And they miss it even though he's clear as day speaking right to him. And then moving on in verse seven. Therefore, Jesus says again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus tells this story, but then all of a sudden he starts to extrapolate and kind of messing with his metaphors. At first he says, I'm the shepherd, but now he's calling himself the gate. This is apostate. This is like, what? If you're a Pharisee, this is blasphemy. Because now he's not saying, I'm not just the leader who's gonna lead the people. I'm the very means in which they can be saved. This is wild. This is, this is him saying, not only can you come to know God, period, in and through me alone, but for you to have eternity with God, is in and through me alone. Do you hear what he's saying? This is like a a drastic statement that he's saying. And and they're sitting there going, what? But listen, even this would still connect some of the dots because in in, in many Eastern sheepfolds, going back to the imagery of a big fenced-in area out in the field where all the sheep are, right? A lot of times they didn't have an actual physical gate. There was an opening that just stayed open. But you know what the shepherds would do? They would sleep in the opening. They would lay down in the opening and they themselves would be the gate. And what their job was is they would keep the wolves from coming in, but they also keep the sheep from going out. They were protecting the sheep. And Jesus is saying, I'm the gate. You wanna come into my intimacy with me? You wanna come into relationship with God? You wanna come and experience eternity and pleasure forevermore? It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. Can I make that any more clear? There's no other gate there's no other way. Jesus actually says another place, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what he's stating right here to the Pharisees. I'm the gate. I'm the way in. I'm the way for a relationship. And it's not just so that you can be saved, but it's also to protect you. It's not just to save you for, from hell, from fire protection someday, right? I'm saving you for today. Who needs saving for today? I need the gate to keep things out of my life today. And I also need him to keep me in when I want to get out, (laughs) right? I need his guidance and his wrangling to pull me back in when I want to make bad decisions, when I'm self-destructive. This is what Jesus is doing. He's drawing them in. He's saying, I will keep you from harm. The passage that comes to mind for me is Psalm 121, which again, the Pharisees would know. And it's verse seven and eight. And it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is what Jesus is saying about him being the gate. My job is to watch over your life. You only come in through me, but you only can remain protected by me. We have a good shepherd and he is the gate. And what's mind blowing is that the emphasis here is on the safety and the fulfillment of the sheep, not the preference of the shepherd. I wanna say that again, because this is like, wow, God, you're too good. Like I was following you a little bit, but now you're starting to make me uncomfortable good. Have you ever been given a gift that was so kind that you really, really had a hard time receiving it? This is that moment right now. Because the emphasis of the shepherd, who is now the gate, doesn't seem to be whatever the shepherd wants and what makes the shepherd feel good whatever's convenient and easy for the shepherd. He now makes the emphasis and the priority of the well-being of the sheep, of us. Why, God? He could have picked a much easier plan for eternity and for life and creation. But yet, I think he thought, this is the best way to display my love. That I would love you even at a cost to myself. I'm willing to be inconvenienced. And my desire, God's desire is that you would have life and life to the full. He says this in the very next verse in chapter or verse 10. He says, the thief comes, speaking of the devil, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. This is the priority of our shepherd. He is concerned with your quality of life. Not your standard of living, just to make it clear. I'm not promoting the prosperity gospel here. We're not all getting Mercedes, and you get a Mercedes, and you get a Mercedes. No, No, I'm not doing that. But he does absolutely care about the quality of life that you're experiencing in him. He is not okay with an acquaintance-based relationship. He's not okay with Sunday attendee Christians, He wants every one of us to walk with him in such a way that we know his voice and we know what it's like to be led with him day in and day out, moment by moment, that when we go to bed at night, we know that he's sitting and laying at the gate of our lives, watching over us. And that can't come through somebody else's revelation of Jesus. I can't tell you what I'm experiencing in Jesus and then you get it for yourself. You need to go to Jesus and get it for yourself. We need to be a people who know how to go to the good shepherd. We know how to hear his voice, respond to him and recognize him as the good shepherd and as the gate, as the very way in which we can have life and life to the full. But how often can we say, yes, who's experienced life in Jesus? And I would assume the majority of the room would say, I'm experiencing life in Jesus. But then I would say, okay, who's experiencing life to the full in Jesus? And I don't know confidently that the majority of the room would raise their hand because we're choosing a cheap cut, uh, sellout of an imitation of something where we're like, okay, I like Jesus to a certain extent, but then there's a place of intimacy. There's a place of obedience. There's a place of leadership in my life where I have to surrender to him and it's very uncomfortable. And I'm just gonna stop right here, Jesus. But what we know is that sheep are dumb. <laughs> Do you know this? Like in a very real sense, like sheep are not smart animals and we're likened as sheep. Did you know this? Like if one sheep jumps off a cliff's edge, the other sheep will follow suit, blindly. If one sheep goes and eats a poisonous plant, the other sheep will come and eat poisonous plants. Like this is true. And it requires a shepherd to constantly be, oh, oh, stop! You know, it's like having like 7, 000, seven billion, how many? Yeah, seven billion toddlers, and you're sitting there going, no, please stop, get off, don't touch that pointy thing, and get off the shelf, and no, we don't eat that, you know, and you know, like that is God's relationship to us, but yet He chooses that. And did you know that sheep's are jerks? <laughs> is that getting too personal in here? I'm serious. They're easily frightened. They're defensive. They're irritable, they're reactive, they're selfish. When we were at the petting zoo in South Africa, first, this is crazy, an emu like ran over after Grayson, which an emu is like kind of like an ostrich, I didn't know that till last week, but it like ran over, we're in this caged area and this emu runs over and starts pecking at Grayson. He's going, ah! It was hilarious and terrifying all at the same time. (laughs) And then we're like, oh, that was crazy, this place is weird. And we turn around and all of a sudden we watch this sheep rear back and headbutt Felix, my, my middle child, in the belly. And he's like, what the heck did I do? You know, like, he's just like, like, that really happened. And we're going, man, that sheep is a jerk. He doesn't even have to be provoked. And he's, he's mean to one another. But is that not the human condition? Absent of Jesus? Are we not foolish? Do we not jump off cliff's edges? And do we not eat poisonous and consume poisonous things? And are we not reactive and irritable and frustrated and selfish? But yet Jesus seems to not mind putting up with us. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that our shepherd, our gate, our king is this good. But this is what he's saying himself and his priority is that you would know his kindness, you would know his goodness and that he's drawing close to you anyway. He actually says this of himself in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. So if you were confused, Pharisees, what I'm trying to explain in this story, let me make it really clear. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flocks and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd and I take ownership of my sheep. When we're bullheaded and frustrating and getting ourselves in ditches all the time, he says, you're still mine. And then he goes further and he says, I take not just ownership, but I take responsibility for my sheep. What? Why would you do that, Jesus? Because he's that good. Even when we are the one making the mess, he takes responsibility for us. He repeats it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is crazy. I just, I'm having the hardest time letting this have full effect on me because it's, it's offensively good. And I'm hoping that you wrestle with me in letting it hit because he's now saying, not only do I take ownership and responsibility for you, but he's like, the same way that Jesus knows the Father, which just so you know, there's the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. They perfectly know each other. He's saying, you and I can know each other. We can know God at that level of intimacy and that, that level of clarity and that level of, of connection. And that's what he's providing as the good shepherd. This is Unbelievable. And then verse 16 through 18. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So, Some of the other listeners, it's not just the Pharisees, the Jewish people, but there's other people listening. Some of them are the disciples and they're hearing this and he's making it really clear. I did not just come for one people group. I came for everyone. Jews, I'm I'm, I'm rebuking you, Pharisee leaders, Jewish leaders, but also I'm letting you know that it's not just, you're just not the end club. It's not about you. I'm tired of this exclusivity thing where it's only those in the know can be a part of the kingdom of God. But he says every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every person, Uh, They identify them as my sheep. I just wanna draw them close. I'm praying, I'm I'm pursuing, I'm leaning in, speaking out their dialogue, trying to speak to them that they might stop, hear, and respond to my leadership. This is the desire of God. So when you're thinking about those who are just too hard or too difficult in your workplace, he's calling their name. And he's wanting to know if you'll be a part of helping them follow suit. And your family member, that family member that is just So difficult to be around. There's so much brokenness and hurt. God's going, hey, they're part of my desired sheepfold. I'm longing for them also to be brought in. We cannot let us get comfortable in this little spiritual jacuzzi in these four walls. It's okay that we meet. It is right that we meet. It is good that we meet. But it has to bust out of this place. It is not meant just to be in here but we've got to love those who look nothing like us, that sound nothing like us. Those, those who are still the dumb and foolish and hurtful sheep. God still says, I take responsibility with them too. And I love them too. And I want your heart to be transformed that you might be so one with Jesus that you feel his heart towards those people that you used to think I can never forgive. And he's like, all of a sudden I start to love them and have compassion I didn't know I could have. Because he longs for those outside of just this one group to be saved, but for all to be saved. I'm, I'm reading this and I'm processing this with God and the question that keeps coming up in my mind is how come the average human being that, including myself that I meet with and know multiple times throughout our journey have these, these moments of feeling unworthy and feeling like we just can't with God he, like we don't deserve it or, or like you know, we've fallen too far <laughs> like we've already jumped off the cliff's edge God and there's no redeeming me you know, like I'm too far. Like this passage leaves no room for performance. If you read this, there is no room for you to somehow earn intimacy with God. There's no room for you to save yourself. There's no room for you to be smart enough to know how to lead your own life well. He leaves no room. The only response is surrender. Is dependence to the voice of the shepherd you are smart enough friends though you're brilliant and made in God's image and he loves you don't hear me beat you up but you don't have what it takes and neither do I so why sometimes do we think we do or we we declare ourselves as the black sheep of the family (laughs) We're we're too marked up and too beat up but you know the Bible calls Jesus the spotless lamb he himself becomes a sheep but he lives a perfect life. He does no wrong, he's not a fool. He's not dumb, he's not a jerk, he's selfless. And then he goes on and he becomes the sacrifice, the very atonement for us as that spotless lamb. The gospel leaves no room for us to prove anything other than surrender. It's just like saying, God, I I need you. I, I choose you and I don't care how far you wander. There's not a place that God can't go and find you. There's not a situation you're not in that he doesn't have the answers to. There's not a place of despair that he can't infuse his hope into. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells another story about a sheep. This is what he says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "'This man welcomes sinners and eats with them?' Then Jesus said to them this parable, this story, he said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons do not need to repent. Do not harden your hearts this morning, family. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought. Don't think of yourself lower than you are. but recognize that you are made in his image. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep and he is wanting to lead you this morning with his voice. And his voice is beckoning you to come to respond to his outrageous love his outrageous faithfulness, his outrageous sacrifice, where he is not seeming to make the priority about his comfort, but our well-being of being reunited with him again. And this isn't just for those in the room who don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Respond to the shepherd calling you in and saying, get into the sheepfold. Welcome to the family of God. And that just comes with a simple yes in your heart, saying, God, I wanna follow you. And if that's you, we're gonna have our ministry team come up forward and I want you to come and sell some Don't try to escape the sheepfold. Quit jumping the fence (laughs) or quit thinking that God's God's given up on you. There's no room for that in scripture. He does the saving, he keeps on saving. He does the pursuing, he keeps on pursuing. He doesn't have a tapped out love. It doesn't run out. It's reckless, it's, it's extravagant, it's outrageous the way that he pursues you. And so we need to continue to be surrendered responders to Jesus. It's a daily thing, even as followers of Jesus, to say, not my will, but your will be done today, Jesus. May I decrease and may you increase today, Jesus. May my ears be open and attentive to the voice of God that I might know your specific peculiar sounds as you lead and direct my life. And may I ignore and not listen to the stranger's voices out there that are false leaders and false teachers, the voice of media and politics and, and governments and everything that's out there it's, that's not the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. He cares about those things and he wants to speak into those things, but we don't let those things lead our life. We let the good shepherd lead our lives. Will you stand with me? We're gonna have a time of response and my prayer is that every one of us would check in with the Lord right now and not just check out. Every one of us say, how sensitive am I being to the shepherd in my life? Am I growing in my familiarity of his leadership and his voice? Or am I kind of numbing and tuning him out? What other voices am I letting lead me astray? What other people am I just jumping off a cliff's edge with or eating poison with or consuming things that's destroying my life versus letting the shepherd direct me and coach me and lead me to places of good pastures of of peace and health and restoration? Because you're called to live a life to the full. So right now, if you're saying I'm not experiencing that, then you're missing something. That's simple, it's that, that's simple. If you're not saying I'm not bubbling over to the life of the fullness moment, that means that you are not attentive to some things that God really, really wants to lead you into. And he's not doing it with a passive aggressive, frustrated attitude. He does it with a joyful sacrifice is what it says. A joyful sacrifice, oh, let me show you, let me lead you, come here. Let me, let me put you back on my shoulders because I rejoice when one comes back and chooses to repent. It's worth more than 99 who don't have any need to repent for when one says today, God, I repent for where I've been going my own way. I repent for choosing my own things, God. I I repent for choosing other voices to follow. God, right now I surrender again to the leadership of Jesus. So we're gonna invite our ministry team, come on forward, you guys can come right now. And we're gonna have people available all around here, but if you need to just get on your knees or even on your face, and just say, God, I surrender again. I want you to be responders to Jesus. Don't be a responder to me. Be a responder to Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who's trying to lead you to greater places of full life and intimacy. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship and respond, but let's not leave without connecting with the Good Shepherd this morning. Lord, we love you. And we thank you, God, that you are the best leader. You are kind and patient you are faithful and true. You are merciful and gracious. You are better to us than we deserve. So God, I pray there'd be the surrender again this morning. For those in the room for the first time, I pray right now where maybe they're even feeling some nervous energy in the room because they know that you're, you're pulling at their heart and they, they don't really know what to do about it. I pray that they would have the courage to come forward and get prayer right now and say, I wanna, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna know what it looks like to know him as the shepherd, as the king, as the gate, as the way, the truth, and the life. May they come today and receive Jesus. And for those in the room who already know him, God, we surrender choosing our own ways and our, our, our bullheadedness and our, and our rebellion. And we choose to repent knowing you rejoice over it and you celebrate, you don't, you don't rub our nose in our mistakes, but you deliver us from them. So may we come back to the kind, good shepherd. Lord, I ask for sobriety this morning of just realizing who you really are. May we see you more clearly. And may we respond wholeheartedly with a yes as we follow your leadership. In Jesus' name.